This is a weird time of the semester. Everybody's, uh, well, we'll see as we get through the sermon, but I have this sense everybody's um, tired and complacent maybe even. Uh, stuff sort of piled up slowly over time. I don't know. And um, uh, I was confessing to a couple of students in this ministry that help think through Tuesday nights and sermons each week. I was sharing with them that, you know, often when the sermon series are planned over the summer, this fall is planned, and I, uh, much of it is outlined anyway, and I don't often think um, about how everybody's going to be feeling in November. I think about how everybody's going to be feeling in September. Uh, and so tonight is actually a pretty challenging sermon of sorts, uh, and it's been interesting for me, especially as we read First Thessalonians, uh, the way Paul who wrote First Thessalonians. If you don't know, the Apostle Paul wrote First Thessalonians. It's a letter to a church in a town called Thessalonica, and that's why it's called Thessalonians, and it's called First Thessalonians because he wrote another one, and then the other one's called Second Thessalonians. Anyway, um, uh, Paul makes a bunch of comments in there about how, like, when he was with the Thessalonians, uh, he, he was um, not sort of uh, telling them what they wanted to hear. He was telling them what he, they needed to hear. Um, from God, and he was concerned about God's glory and not the glory that he would get from the community. And so as as I've been preparing and writing this, I've been mindful of how y'all have been feeling and how I, what I've been called to share with you, um, and it seems a little bit uh, incongruent in a way for me. I want to basically say um, the Lord wants you to, to, to climb under the, 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 a weighted blanket with a cup of hot chocolate and just watch Netflix. Uh, that's what he wants you to do for the next couple of weeks because you, because you deserve it. You know, that's what I want to say is stuff like that. I have a quite a different message for you tonight. Um, and I, I, I trust the Lord in thinking it's needed, but uh, I suppose I'm a little bit scared of your feedback. So whatever, let's pray and we'll, we'll get into this. Father, um, help. Amen. Um, all right, so last week, um, last week a friend and I were texting about life, about life. Actually, this friend had watched a movie on Netflix called, maybe it's called The King or something like that. I don't know what it's called. But, um, but, and there was this really intense thing. I got this text and he said, so I've been thinking about whether or not I'd be a good king. <laughs> I was like, that's some deep, some deep stuff, dude. Uh, hey. And, you know, his wife was out of town. And so he was like, just, he's like, all night I've just been thinking about this, you know. And uh, at one point... I suggested to him that we all, and I was trying to find some solidarity. He's not a Christian. I wasn't, and he was sort of like putting the ball in a tee for me, um, which I still suck at at baseball. But uh, anyway, um, I just felt I need to confess that, I guess. Um, But I I said at one point, just trying to find some common ground, I said, we all tend to live as if we're God. I think that's true. I said, we all tend to live as if we are God. And if that's true, if that is true, if we all tend to live as if we're God, no wonder that we all feel so much pressure. And feel so inept to deal with the realities of the world. No wonder that so many of us are exhausted living as if we are God. Living as if we must make meaning and worth of our lives. And pull ourselves out of the hum of history to do something important in a story that we make up all on our own. How exhausting. How haunted our lives must be if we live this way. I told my friend that we live as if we're God as a confession. That's why I said that. I I mean, I was trying to find solidarity, right? As a a moment of sobriety, exposing the insanity of our lives for just a moment, and repenting of that idea. So when I said we live as if we're God, I'm thinking like, yuck, let's not do that, you know, whatever. How stupid to live this way when the stakes are so high in which each of us are so clearly not God. Well, my friend received that confession quite differently than I meant it. You get that first slide? Here's what he responded with. It's my story. So, of course, I'm the main character. Think about this for a minute. 
You share this planet. The very air we breathe, the resources we consume, the communities we belong to, the universe we live in with my friend. And he said it's his story, not yours. Not ours, his. I'm just a supporting actor, and y'all probably don't even get to be on the credits. It's his story. And it's not any better for me to have received this text and said, well, actually, it's, it's not your story, it's mine. As if that's any more true than his comment, right? You see what I'm saying? As a Christian, I believe and confess that the Christ, the one through whom all the promises of God are yes, this Jesus, he has died for our sins, was raised from the grave, ascended into heaven, and poured out his spirit upon his people, the church. And this Christ, this Jesus, will come again. And I believe that is the context of our story. Our story, not even stories. Our story. I'm not just a part of your story, and you're not simply a part of mine, friend. It's a shared story with Jesus as the main character. We each live between these two comings of Jesus, between the Christ coming and the Christ coming again. What are we supposed to do on this shared stage? What is our life supposed to look like if it's one shared story together? That's what we're going to explore tonight. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. And God, send your spirit, please, in light of all the texts that we're going to be working through, in light of the challenge right now, um, to to help uh, your word not fall on deaf ears, to open eyes, ears, hearts, minds, and bodies to receive your word. Give hope to the hopeless right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Kirsten, would you, are you running slides up there, Kirsten? Thank you. You're doing great so far. Um, uh, first, first, if you want to know what it's like to work as a pastor, it's uh, running slides and changing garbage disposals. Uh, that's, that's what it means, actually, to run a pastor this week, be a pastor this week. Would you put up the one from First Peter if I sent it to you? There we go. Uh, Peter says this, God is patient toward us. Actually says toward you, but toward us. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The purpose of the time between Jesus coming and Jesus coming again, I'm going to keep talking about this, there's a space, there's a time between Jesus coming and Jesus coming again. The purpose of that time can be summed up in one word. Mission. Mission. That's the reason there's a a space of time between Jesus coming and Jesus coming again. Mission. That's what this age of history is all about. The opportunity for all of humanity to find in Jesus the one who made them and loves them and is redeeming them, friends. If you don't know Jesus as Lord, if you don't know that God himself has come near to you in Jesus and wants you to know him and find abundant life in him because he loves you, if that's you, there is one thing that your life is about right now. It's not an A on a test or getting married someday or accruing power and wealth. None of you care about my GPA in undergrad. Nobody's going to care about yours in the end. Getting married will not cure loneliness, not yours or others. Your power and wealth will end when you die, if not sooner. If your life is about those things, your life will be up in smoke and mirrors, will be about smoke and mirrors. Or in the words of Jesus, you're storing up treasure where moth and rust destroy. There is one thing your life is about, and it's how will you respond to Jesus? 
The invitation before you is to repent and be baptized, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Stop living as if it's just your story, as if you're the God. It's too much weight for your own shoulders, friends. And it only brings about a kind of hell on earth. So go pray with somebody in the back or come find me after the service, confess your sins, call out to Jesus as Lord and find out with me what kind of love and adventure God has for us in his kingdom. It's really good. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil, to save us, to bring us life. Various passages of the scriptures will tell us this. Why are we still waiting for his return though? It's in order that you and others might say yes to him. Mission. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but respond by grace through faith to his invitation. That's assuming that you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. But if you have, is this space between Christ coming and him coming again still about mission? What about those of us who've already been drawn to Jesus and said yes to him? What if you've repented and confessed Jesus as Lord and been baptized? Maybe you noticed that when you became a Christian, you weren't immediately zapped out of your body into the throne room of heaven. You're still here. Well, what do we do while we are living out our lives in this time in between Jesus' comings? Some of us, I think, I'm inclined to think some of us believe that we're just supposed to hold on with with just white-knuckle our grip on our belief in Jesus until we die. Not really sure what else there is to do. Broadly speaking, there are a number of passages in the Bible that speak to the calling on our lives during this time in between. So we'll look at a couple real quick. I hope some of these two passages are familiar to you. If they're not, I hope they become familiar to you. They're wonderful summary passages of what our life ought to look like as followers of Jesus between his comings. So in Matthew 28, right at the end, if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you don't, I can get you a Bible. We have some you can just take with you home. I want you to become familiar with that text. Bring it with you. You can use your phone if you want, but you'll get distracted and start, you know, doing Instagram or something while I'm talking. Um, uh, But Matthew 28. So here's from Matthew 28 right at the end. Um, Jesus says to his disciples and through the church to all of us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because Jesus has all authority, he can say something like this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Friends, as we read this, this is your calling if you're a Christian. It's not mine because I'm a pastor. This is your calling if you are a follower of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus, how can I teach them what you commanded? I don't even know. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus says age, actually, he's referring to the time between his coming and his coming again. That's the age that we're in. This is often called the Great Commission. Right, commission literally means to partner, co, I gotta, yeah, is that the right, left to right with you guys? Co, on mission, which comes from a Latin word meaning send. So, in other words, commission means we go where God sends us. We say yes to where God is sending and go with him, wherever he's going. Ironically, he also says he goes with us. That's what commission means. This great commission is a summary of what God has sent his people out to do. When you become a disciple of Jesus, this is your mission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commands. This is what we do in the in-between. And in Acts chapter one, Jesus would give another overarching picture 
of what we're to do at this time in between. From Acts chapter 1, right there at the beginning, uh, maybe eight verses in or so, he says to his disciples and through the church to all of us that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So now Jesus is sending his people out to testify, literally to tell what they have seen and experienced about Jesus, to tell that to the ends of the earth. I love the word, I love the word testify and the ways in which it's been used in chintzy fashions can't steal this from me. We are only called to tell what we know. You are not accountable to sharing anything you don't know. You are not accountable to sharing anything you haven't experienced. Where you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good though, God sends you out into the world to tell others about that. This is an other summary of what our lives should be about during this time in between. And it's not a better or worse summary. It's just another way to describe what our lives should look like until Jesus returns. Okay, so no matter what passage of Scripture you look at over and over again, what you'll understand is that this time in between the comings of Christ is it's about mission in some way. It's about joining God in this sending out. In one sense, in Matthew 28, it's to all nations. Did you remember that or do you see that? It's an outward move. It's not just in your closest friend group or whatever. It's to all nations, through the church, not just you, but through the whole community because this mission isn't given to an individual. It's given to a community. Incidentally, it's given to a community of people who were worshiping and also had doubts and all these other things. It's a motley crew to go out into all the world. Some of them, we even read in the New Testament, some of them stayed right there. Some of them went out to Judea and Samaria, and some went out to the ends of the earth. Paul actually, as an evangelist, as a, as a missionary, he actually said at one point, I have no more work to do in Asia. Because he's apparently done it all. Go figure. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, the, 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 as a group, they did this throughout the book of Acts, if you read it. They actually are sent out to the ends of the world. This is a calling upon God's church still. Testifying to the ends of the earth. These are outward movements. God is sending his people, no matter what passage you look at. There's many, many more summaries that God would give his people for what this time of life should look like. All of them have a degree of outward focus in the world because this time is marked for mission. It's about the love of God and the opportunity for others to say yes to him going global. And tonight I am mindful of two things as this pertains to us in this room. First, here we go. Some of us don't care. Second, many of us just aren't sure what step we can take to join in on the mission of God. So first, some of us don't care. Uh, there is a spirit of apathy and complacency that we need to struggle with and pray against and see defeated, friends. We are, many of us, so wrapped up in the comforts and in the distractions of our lives that we numb ourselves to the reality of life for humanity. I want you to listen, just listen for a minute to, to some of the, the pictures and the words that the Bible gives us about what life actually looks like, what it actually looks like. In this life, Jesus says, you will have trouble of many kinds. James, the brother of Jesus, gives us counsel for when, not if, when you face trials. The apostle Paul said, we are afflicted in every way. Life is going to look like this. Peter tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. This is common. Paul would tell us that the days are evil and that we need to guard ourselves daily against the attacks of the devil and that we identify with Christ during this in-between time specifically by sharing in his sufferings. So Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That verse stands out to me, and Peter is specifically talking about trials with regards to, to um, our faith in particular. My, my, one of my friends, I mentioned him last week, was um, preaching sermons in India. And while he was there, a number of missionaries that he knew um, were collected and put in jail. And in, and in India, if you're proselytizing um, as a Christian, uh, it's five years in jail before you can be released. You know, and, and, and while he was, and that's what Peter's talking about, is when you are experiencing trials specifically as a Christian, but this language was just stuck with me because I thought, oh my gosh, how many of us in this room are so shocked when we experience trials and suffering and struggles? It's one thing to experience a struggle. It, it begins to be sort of fascinating when we start throwing narratives on it, when we start telling each other and ourselves what it means. I didn't think that I would struggle. Are you surprised that there's so much struggle in your life? If so, I submit to you that you haven't lifted your eyes to the realities of this world or listened to during history courses or paid attention to the Bible. I don't know what you heard when you became a Christian, but the invitation isn't to comfort and riches in this life. It's an invitation to suffer on the behalf of others because you know that the God of all creation loves you enough to suffer for you and give you victory over death not victory from death, victory over it, victory through it. Some of us may have apathy because we believed that some sales pitch of bliss and privilege in this life, we believed in some sales pitch of bliss or privilege in this life, but Jesus would invite his followers to the back of the line, to the last seat, to outdo others in honor, to lay down their lives for their friends. And if that's not enough, friends, can I gently remind you that every single person on this earth is dying? That it's such a common thing that it's weird. It should, it should be like smelling salts to us or something, that this comes at us like a surprise when people talk about it. How dare we mention that everybody dies? It's the most obvious thing. That children today have died from starvation today. That loneliness is rampant. That suicide is the number one cause of death for 14 to 19-year-olds in the United States. That homeless people in our city are freezing tonight and don't have resources that they need to stay warm or even alive, potentially. That people, but I brought an extra sweatshirt because I thought a coat might be too much up front and a t-shirt, even though it's from a rad band, might be too little in this context. That people are locked up in prison or dying for no other reason than that the color of their skin or because of the color of their skin or the faith that they proclaim Yes. When we are complacent, we're saying no to the very way of Jesus who was anything but complacent. And we're saying no to the real sufferings that exist in the world. Just because I'm content in my room with my weighted blanket and my new Disney Plus subscription and my craft coffee doesn't mean that all is well in the world. I share the freaking stage. It's not just about me. 
It's not my life and I'm the main character. And with my life, I can actually have an impact on others, friends. So if you're complacent, wake up. I know you're tired and busy and feel stretched, but for the glory of God, for the love of others, and for the sanctification of your life, wake up. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Second, many of us simply aren't very sure what next step to take in saying yes to Jesus and in his mission to draw all people to himself. Because something as simplistic as make disciples of all nations isn't really simple. What it means for me to make disciples of Jesus is different than what it means for my wife or my kids or for you. Logan Sheets moved here to make disciples of Jesus on the college campus, and part of what that means for her is to meet personally with college students, right? Praying for them and, 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 and with them and sharing them, with them the gospel and her life. Rob Bettis, an alumni of the house, is making disciples of Jesus by serving on our board of directors and donating financially to the ministry so that we can hire Logan. But none of that is addressing the discipleship of my kids or teenagers in Tibet or the elderly in Morocco or whatever else. Though we are called to the same mission, we participate in it and are faithful to it in a variety of ways. Do you see what I mean? So, so a broad tent, like a big tent calling, still leaves room for all of us to ask our questions about how we individually and uniquely participate in it, right? And so this week I've been thinking about you and what it might look like for you to go and make disciples of Jesus, for you to witness to him, about him to the ends of the earth. And the scripture passage for this evening that comes to mind is, is from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to end tonight with a reflection on this. And it's still this is too broad, Still, these things will need to be teased out in, in your core groups or one-on-one, -on -one, or you are not called to live this life alone. Some of you get frustrated, maybe with, I don't know, with me or people like me, because I can't give you the very specific thing that you personally ought to do. Friends, one hour a week? Are you kidding me? This isn't going to be the place where this is sorted out. You take stuff that God is doing in your life in places like this and you go uh, stir that stuff up and ask for the Lord's wisdom with a smaller group of people, not a room like this. We'll get closer than those big categories you've already read, but it's still gonna be a big category. So let's look at this passage real quick. We read this earlier. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. This is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Recommend you turn to your Bible there if you got it, if you don't get it. So get this, Paul tells a whole church in a city to do this. He tells a whole church in this city, live quietly, mind your own business, work with your hands. For most of us, I assume that doesn't sound like mission. I mean, does this really sound like go into all the world? And yet, if you read 1 Thessalonians, which takes the average reader 12 minutes, you'll see that Paul is giving this advice to the Thessalonians precisely in light of others coming to know Jesus and Jesus coming again. You can look at the context there. It'll take you less than 10 minutes because we already read some of it. Others need to know Jesus and he's coming again, so be quiet, mind your own business, get to work. That's interesting, isn't it? Hey, others need to know about Jesus and he's coming again, so shh, mind your own business, get to work. What? Okay, okay, think about this for a minute. If I just start working at, a, at Southern Champion Tray, anybody know Southern Champion Tray? It's a big local, there you go, one hand. I see you in the back. Uh, uh, 
it's a wonderful big corporate business in Chattanooga. Um, they, they support the house. They're really great. Okay, um, not just because they support the house, but that's great. Um, I want others, let's say I work there, and I want others to know Jesus and say yes to him. In other words, let's say I work there and I'm interested in mission. What do I do? What should I do if I, if I want people to know about the love of God in that place? Well, if I'm about mission, I should wear a WWJD bracelet. They're coming back. A cross tattoo, I should get one on my forearm somewhere so people can see it. And it kind of just peeks out below dress shirts when I raise my arm to do whatever, you know. And I, I put a Christian sticker on my hydro flask, make sure it's facing out. And I make sure that I read my Bible while I'm on my lunch break, right? That's what I should do. Now, nothing in that is particularly wrong, even the tattoo, I would suggest. In fact, it might even be helpful. But how helpful are all those things if I'm late to work? Or if I need to take personal days all the time because I'm not making healthy decisions in my life? Or if I'm unkind to my coworkers or can't do my job very well? As a matter of fact, I suggest to you that I will probably do the opposite of being a good witness to Jesus if I'm not a very good employee first. Do you see? Perhaps you want your roommate to know Jesus. And they know that you go to the house and you're in a core group and you get up early to read your Bible and you post on Instagram stories of your favorite worship music. But do you do your dishes? Do you respect your roommate's food and belongings and their desires for how they want to live in your common space? Noise, smell, all those things. Do you see that even in the word, if, if you use the words of Jesus you can, that, that he tells us to use, that you can undermine the testimony of Jesus with your life? When I worked for a large corporate office, this huge engineering firm for a few years, I had this tremendous opportunity to share with others the love of God and Jesus Christ. Nobody in my department knew Jesus. Nobody. But I lost my ability to witness that I spent two and a half years building with this one man, this 60-year-old man, because he found out that I downloaded music illegally. And that's all it took. He wrote me off. He was done. Live quietly, mind your own business, and get to work. Not because that's the end game, but because you're probably not loving others and you're probably undermining the mission of God if you're not living that way. This is particularly good wisdom for us when we are young or new at a thing. God wants to draw all people to himself and he's inviting you to participate in that. And that might mean right now that you live quietly and you mind your business and you get to work. Let me just break down each of these just for a minute because as I think about you guys leaving here tonight, I, I, I suspect that many of us in this room will just have one of these things that we need to say yes to Jesus about in a particular way. And I want to tease this out just a minute. So living quietly might mean that you consider how you're using social media. Is it to draw attention to yourself or is it to celebrate others? Maybe you want to have a big voice and a big say in your community. Maybe for the sake of mission, it's wise for you to spend a season listening and learning. Perhaps living quietly means changing the way you dress or what you drive or even what career you're pursuing because of the motives that drive all of those things. Jesus tells us that the last shall be first and he invites us to lift up others, not ourselves. And friends, when our lives do not have integrity, living loudly is not of any help. Minding your own business, how many of us don't even know our own business? because we're too busy paying attention to everyone else's. And so we gossip and we judge, opining about all these things and laying the burdens of our ill-formed opinions on others. We spend hours scrolling through Instagram, filling our minds with these curated versions of everyone else's business, never minding our own, the very things that God has placed in our lives, 
What about the thoughts I harbor? What about the money I spend? What about the way I use my time on the weekends? What I eat? The people I spend time with? God, what is the business that you would have me mind in my own life and be mindful of? And Lord, I confess that so much of my attention is spent on minding other people's business that I don't even know my own. Work with your hands. Less talk, more action. Are you being productive or just busy? Are you able to provide something to the community? Or are you depending on others to do the work? Do your roommates have to do your dishes? Are your friends always taking notes for you because you don't go to class? Are your coworkers needing to cover for you? Are you growing in your ability to contribute to an interdependent society? Or are you a bystander just assuming that someone else is going to pick up your slack? If you care about mission, you'll care about these things. And it's, it's the little stuff, not just the big, this is part of what living quietly means. Okay, all these things come together for me. And like, let's say you come in here and you eat a candy bar in the middle of the service, which I don't care, but you leave the wrapper on the pew. It's a little thing. Thanks. <laughs> I don't, I don't, that's not, I, I've never picked up a candy bar wrapper in here. That's, I'm trying to pick up something safe that I don't have like a bug about, okay? Uh, but, but think about this. If you are somebody who just leaves that stuff around, you are living a life dependent on other people following around you, picking up stuff behind you. Or have you ever picked up somebody else's wrapper? Or do you say to yourself, it's not mine? When I was in college, my, I had a roommate that used to eat oatmeal and drink orange juice every single morning. It was like religion to him. Every single morning, same thing. And there was one moment when um, he had a, a pot full of um, oatmeal sitting on the counter with a glass of orange juice that had like a sip left in it. And it sat there for like a day or two. And then somebody said, hey, Jonathan, uh, can you please do uh, clean up your dishes? And he goes, oh, those aren't mine. Well, now what do we do? Because if he's not going to do it, and none of us are doing anybody else's dishes. So it sat there for like a month. It was nasty, because all of us had this pride about what? What? I, we actually developed a new policy that from that point forward, after we figured it out, and nobody admitted to it. <laughs> I know who it was, but nobody admitted to it. Um, we actually developed a new policy that seemed far more like approaching a kind of Christ-likeness, where we thought from now on when we do dishes, always do at least one or two other dishes than your own. That just takes care of that problem coming up again, you know? And we, anyway, my point is, are we living in certain ways that we're demanding on other people covering for us? If you care about mission, you're going to care about these things. In this time between Jesus' coming and his coming again, he is sending us on mission, and our lives, get this, our lives and our lives together are the primary way that he is showing the world that God loves them. So our lives and our lives together matter, not just our words. So Paul would say to a young community, probably six months old as a church, which is one of the reasons it made me think about y'all, it's just a young Christian community. Gosh, Paul's thinking, okay, how does the gospel go out to the ends of the earth? How do they make disciples of all nations? Well, in this moment, just six months in, I think what they need to do is they need to live quietly and mind their own business and get to work because outsiders are looking at them and they shouldn't be dependent upon anybody right now. These young folks are living off rich cats at the top and, and then they were just content and complacent in that and they should actually want to get up and get to work to provide something else to the community. 
If we do these things, if we, if we live quietly and mind our own business and work with our hands, would it be possible that God might draw even more people to himself through our lives as we grow? So the image I've had in my mind throughout this sermon is really a, as of a tree sending roots down into the soil and growing stronger in order that one day it might provide shelter for so many other things under its branches. But I think many of us right now are trying to stretch out our branches before our roots are very deep. And it's exhausting. We don't have the nutrients to carry it. Every, every branch we sprout dies quickly. And we wonder why. Living quietly and minding our own business and getting to work is about sending roots deep in order that the tree grows up and strong and finally out. I know you're tired and scattered and don't have much in the tank at this point in the semester. I know that. And it, and it can feel like a strange moment in the semester to challenge you. But it's really what you do for a friend that's hiding under the covers. You push, you push open the door, you get them out of bed, you help them get dressed, you grab their wallet, you grab their keys, you pour them a cup of coffee, you take them outside. Because that's what they need, even if it's what they feel like is impossible for them. No matter what it seems like, friends, Jesus' load is easy and his burden is light. Matt Nichols said that during our time of prayer at 7.15. There's a bunch of us that gather for prayer at 7.15 before Tuesday nights. Any of you are invited, you're welcome to come and just pray for the night um, and for the gospel of God on this campus and for God to raise up leaders in this generation. Um, and Matt Nichols just shared that verse in a prayer tonight and it stuck with me and I thought, man, all these things that God calls us to, it is crazy how much lighter it is. Do you guys ever have that experience where you go to a friend's house and you do their dishes even though you haven't been doing yours at home? Because it's actually easier to take care of somebody else's stuff. My wife was talking to a, a friend of mine's wife this week who's a house painter, and she said, um, she said, yeah, he's a house painter, you know, so our house hasn't been painted in a long time, you know. And, and I didn't hear that and go, well, that's strange. I thought, well, yeah. There's a sense in which caring for others in, in many ways is actually easier. It's lighter than caring for ourselves. It's, it's a crazy thing. And, and I submit to you, as it's an act of faith often in trusting that God will uphold you as you go out into the world and care for others. Even as I'm calling you to this deep-rooted work, and I know you might not want to receive challenges right now, I submit to you that doing homework is less anxiety-ridden than thinking about it. Going to class is lighter on you than skipping class and wondering what you miss and if you're going to get a grade. Actually confessing your sin and apologizing to your friends is a lighter burden than harboring bitterness and fear and contempt. The things that Jesus wants to offer us, are, they sound ludicrous on this side of them. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what you need right now, friends, the, the burden that Jesus is wanting to offer you that's lighter than the one you're carrying is he wants you to say, just say yes to him and whatever he's asking you to do right now. Every single one of us in this room, God, I'm sure, is asking us to move in certain directions and surrender certain things and, and say yes to him. It's what you need. It's what the world needs. And for the first time or for the hundredth time, say yes to him. Your life is about so much more than you. And I'm throwing that in there because for some of us, we're not even motivated by caring for ourselves. We share a stage. For God's glory and for the good of others in this world, say yes to Jesus, please. During this time between his coming and his coming again, there's work to be done. It's mission. And right now, for most of us in this room, I suggest to you that it's probably the work 
Like the missional work that we can do is sending roots deep and growing strong. I'm gonna pray for us and I want you to take a minute to pray and reflect. After I'm done, we'll just take like a minute of silence to pray and reflect on how God might be calling you to say yes to him right now. Is there a way in which he might be calling you to live quietly or to mind your business or to get to work? And, and maybe I would pray that his spirit would help you understand how, how saying yes to him in one of those ways might actually uh, contribute to his work and his word going out into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching everybody to obey Jesus for his glory and for our good and to hasten the return of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, send your spirit now. Um, to help, uh, to help us to know um, how you might be at work in our lives. Father, we confess um, this is such a weird time in history uh, with distraction and so many things clamoring for our attention. Attention is, is uh, the co- most commodified thing right now in the West. People are competing for it like crazy. You ask for it too. Mindful, Lord, that attention actually is the cost that we have to pay in order to get so, many of, so much of the good fruit in this life. Would you help us right now attend, attend to where you're at work? Would you help us to know something that you want us to say yes to or something you want us to surrender? Would you give us the courage to say yes to that? We thank you for your son, Jesus, who did not uh, seek the seat at the head of the table, who did not, Lord, this, this, this Lord of ours spent 30 years incognito before he went public. And even then, he started this uh, universal revolution and redemptive plan um, with, with a a dozen teenagers. Help us, Lord, know how we might uh, live quietly or mind our own business or get to work in this next minute or so.